Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why black mothers in Mississippi are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white mothers. Many women, and a lot of times it's more common in women of color, have to present two, three, four times telling healthcare professionals that they feel like something's wrong or something's wrong with their body and they get dismissed or they don't feel as though they're actually listened to or they're not taken seriously or they're not treated aggressively. Then learn about a program aimed at keeping kids safe from fire. Also, why keeping kids reading over the summer could help them retain more of what they learn in school. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Maternal mortality is the term the medical community uses to talk about how often mothers die during childbirth. And it's a statistic that affects far more African-American mothers in Mississippi than white mothers. In fact, nationwide, black women are up to four times more likely to die in childbirth. Dr. Michelle Owens is an OBGYN at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and the co-host of Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. She's also an African-American mother of three. She talks with us about maternal mortality and why it's such an important issue for her as a doctor and a mother. African-American women are approximately four times more likely to die during childbirth. And the um, statistics, so maternal mortality is usually reported per 100,000 live births. So it's per 100,000. And the um, mortality rate for African-American women is 42 deaths per 100,000 live births. And if you look at um, their white counterparts, that number is about 12 deaths per 100,000 live births. Why? What's, why the disparity? Well, you know, that's a, I think that's a very good question. So there are some things that we know that contribute to uh, poor maternal outcomes. And so, um, of course, socioeconomic status is one of them. So poverty is an issue and also uh, issues related to education. So uh, those people who are less educated, those people who are of lower socioeconomic status tend to have poor outcomes. But when you look at how stark this contrast is, while that may tell a portion of the story, it doesn't tell the entire story uh, because there are, uh, for African-American women who are not affected by lower socioeconomic status and who are also well-educated, those women still have a significantly increased risk of dying compared to white counterparts who may be younger and less educated and also of lower socioeconomic status. Something that we have come to realize as a huge driver of um, outcomes, patient-related outcomes, is the issue of even bias within the healthcare system um, and also issues related to access uh, to healthcare. So access, not necessarily proximity to a physician, but the ability to 
receive care by a healthcare professional. Uh, whether that so there could be a doctor who's down the street from you, but if you are uninsured or if you're underinsured, then that still creates a barrier for you having the access that you need. Um, and additionally, there are some health issues that are more common or that are seen in higher that uh, in higher prevalence within African American communities. For example, um, hypertension and diabetes, um, and even obesity, which is a risk factor in pregnancy, all of those things also contribute to poor outcomes. Among the disparities or with the disparities is communicating with your doctor part of that? So it is. Uh, I think communication with, with, a, with your physician is important, but the other part is education and awareness uh, because a lot of women don't understand the correlation between their medical problems and their pregnancies. So, for example, bad hypertension, bad kidney disease, um, bad diabetes, if if those things are controlled or if you get them controlled prior to achieving pregnancy, then your outcomes tend to be better. And there is a correlation between poorly controlled chronic medical illnesses and bad outcomes or complicated pregnancies. And so it's really important for, A, women to have access to health care in general so that these things can be diagnosed. And as they are diagnosed, they also need to have access to care so that they can be controlled in order for them to have um, healthy pregnancies. Another thing that we may not often connect to this whole process is that the issues of contraception and being able to decide to time your pregnancy. So we want to plan pregnancies. We know in our country over 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. And so it's also really important for women, if they have a chronic medical illness, to be able to plan their pregnancy so that they can optimize their health. You want to be your healthiest when you become pregnant. And so being able to decide when you're going to have a baby is a part of that. Because if you know that you're really sick, you'd much rather be able to wait until you get your sickness under control before you then get pregnant. Because if you're already sick and you get pregnant on top of that, then of course that pregnancy is... Absolutely. You are a physician, but you're also an African-American woman. Yes. And you also almost died. And I look at you and you're a very healthy individual. You're not obese or you don't have heart disease as far as I know, or kidney disease. Right. So how did you fall into that category of being an African-American woman who almost died? Well, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Um, I, I just joined the club that very few people want to volunteer to sign up for. Um, and and in playing it back over my mind, I mean, there, there, are, there are risk factors. I had some of those risk factors. And while I don't have chronic health problems, develop some complications during my pregnancy. Um, the one thing that I will say is I think the reason, so I, while I can't really pinpoint the reason why um, the complications that I had occurred, one of the things that I can say is that the reason why I'm actually able to sit here and talk to you um, and to still be present for my family and and to, to be there for my children is because I was a part of a system that was able to rapidly respond and where I was listened to. 
And uh, that is something that I recognize as a privilege that I, as a physician who went to the place where where I, I worked um, to deal with my complication. The other piece is that I did have the education to recognize when things weren't. So you knew that something was off. Absolutely. Whereas if you're not a physician, maybe you wouldn't have known anything. Absolutely. Because I, and so often I, I see that even in my own patients when they come in and I'll say, Why, where have you been? What took you so long? And and their response to me is, well, you know, Dr. Owens, I thought this was normal or I thought this was okay. Or they, they speak to a friend or they or they tell their story to somebody or they don't want to bother the person. And I was like, I'm waking everybody up because this is not right. And, you know, and then going to the hospital and saying, hey, guys, this is wrong. And knowing that when I walk in and I'm the doctor that works there, people will listen. Everybody on the street doesn't necessarily get that walking through the door. And what what we also know is that many women and a lot of times it's more common in women of color have to present two, three, four times telling healthcare professionals that they they feel like something's wrong or something's wrong with their body and they get dismissed or they don't feel as though they're actually listened to or they're not taken seriously or they're not treated aggressively. That is something that I will say did not happen to me. And I was in a situation where I was in an institution where there was a protocol to address the problems that I had and people were able to respond quickly. And I went to a tertiary care center that had all of the resources that were actually there in the hospital to take care of the sick me that showed up. And all of those things came together for me. But there are hundreds of thousands of women across this country for whom those same things may not necessarily apply. What do you say, though, if a, if a woman thinks something's wrong and, you know, we're pretty keen on how we feel and what we think and they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, nope, everything's fine. So if you go and, and somebody tells you that whatever your concern is, so first know why you're concerned. And the second thing is to be able to explain fully what your issues or your concerns are. Because sometimes if you come in and you say, well, like they'll say, well, just just describe it. You can't even describe what it is. Um, and one of the questions that I say, and I think sometimes it's just if you don't feel that that you have that that your issues have been addressed, if you don't feel like your concerns have been addressed, then you should advocate to have somebody address those concerns. If they come in and say, oh, well, I think it's this, or they don't give you a diagnosis, or they say, oh, well, it's just discomforts or what have you. If there is a specific concern that you want to address, you need to ask the specific question. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think sometimes people shy away from asking physicians or pushing a little bit more so that their fears or concerns are addressed. And I don't think people should do that. Dr. Michelle Owens is an OBGYN at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and hosts Southern Remedy for Women every Friday at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Thank you, Dr. Owens. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. A new Southern Remedy documentary takes a closer look at maternal mortality. It's called Surviving Birth and is available now on the MPB Public Media app. Then the program airs Monday evening at 8 on MPB TV. Coming up, learn about a program aimed at keeping kids safe from fire. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us this Friday for Next Stop Mississippi. 
will start this road trip at Center Stage Biloxi to talk about their production of Steel Magnolias. Next, we'll head to the Mississippi Museum of Art for their spring family day. After that, we'll speak to Claire Capon with the Capital City Roller Girls and end the show with singer-songwriter Carla Cook, the daughter of the legendary Sam Cook. So don't miss the ride today at 10 a.m. only on MVB Think Radio. This is MVP Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Fire safety experts in Mississippi are getting some help reducing the number of children dying by fire. First responders, educators, and nonprofit leaders say it's important that children learn about fire safety at an early age. Molly Clifford is director of a program called Fireproof Children. She talks with MPB's Jasmine Ellis about how her organization helps keep kids safe. So we actually put on fire safety education programs for young children. This one is called Play Safe, Be Safe, and it's sponsored by the BIC Corporation. They've been doing this program for 25 years all across the country to teach fire safety educators and early education educators um, how to work with young children around fire prevention and safety. And why is a workshop like this important? Well, we know that unfortunately children are very interested in fire and they are curious and they explore and they often engage in dangerous behaviors. So we want to work with the people who are talking to young children, their teachers, um, to hopefully get them to understand the key messages around fire safety with young children. And what are some of those key messages? So we have a couple of them. So we want to teach the kids to go to the firefighter. Um, sometimes firefighters are in sort of strange gear. If they arrive at your house, you want to know that they are community helpers. And so you want to go to them when they call. You need to learn stop, drop, and roll if fire gets on your clothes. Crawl low under smoke if there's smoke in a room. And really our fire prevention ma- um, message is if you see matches and lighters, tell a grown-up. And that's really the key issue there. I know that there are a lot of fires that happen in the winter because children might be playing with heaters and things of that nature, but what about the spring and summer? What are causing these fires? Right. Well, actually, the number one cause of home fires is unattended cooking. So people who, you know, cook every day sort of think they have it under control, um, may not be paying attention, may, you know, go answer the phone or do something like that while they've got something on the stove and it causes a home fire. So that's the leading cause. But, you know, throughout the year, children playing with fire uh, is a cause of home fires. As you mentioned, we're talking about fireworks, we're talking about space heaters, we're talking about all kinds of different things. So really need to concentrate on the whole um, concept of prevention. And what kind of conversations can parents have with their children on the importance of fire safety and lighter safety? Right. We really want parents to be aware of their responsibility in teaching fire safety education. So key messages around if you see matches or lighters, they are grown-up tools and you need to come and get me. Don't touch the lighters or matches. Come tell an adult. Um, So that's the key one. Um, We also want people to be aware that there are a lot of low-quality lighters that are flooding the American market and people need to be aware that they need to choose safe lighters when they can. Let me ask you this. In addition to having those conversations, what can they do to make sure that their children aren't 
being, I guess, tempted or they don't see something that's sitting out that they that can possibly start a fire that can be hazardous. Right. That's really a key strategy for parents is to keep lighters and matches out of out of sight and out of reach. So we want to make sure that hopefully parents do not have many lighters or matches at home to begin with, but when they do, to keep them out of sight and out of reach, stored securely. And about how many of these fires that are that take place each year are caused by children? There are about 50,000 fires um, started by children playing in the U.S. each year. So it, it's a big number, and those are only the ones we know about. Molly Clifford of Fireproof Children. Sharon Buchanan is with the Jackson Public School District. She teaches high school students in the career development program who are interested in early childhood careers. She talks about some of the safety practices she teaches to her students. In my position, I teach high school students to teach preschool children. So I'm teaching them to teach them to be aware of fire, um, know how, know when a fire arises, know how to get out, know the entrances if a, if your house catches on fire, uh, as well as them knowing who to contact, who to call, or if they see something on fire, if they can get to a phone, how to dial nine one one, and um, also I'm teaching the preschoolers their mother's phone numbers. You know, just in case something happened or something arises with the fire. Are you having any conversations with parents as well about the importance of talking to their children about fire safety? Actually, in my program, um, we don't per se talk with the parent. Um, like I said, that's where we train our high school students to talk with them. But, um, you know, we do let them know that, okay, um, October is fire prevention month so you know we do give them tips on how to talk with their children uh, in case a fire starts on how to get out uh, the beginning and ending points uh, and where to meet it in case a fire starts in their house. And what are some of those tips that you that parents can share with their children about fire safety? Um, they can talk to them about matches and lighters and igniters. First of all, um, and and I do tell my parents, do not leave your lighters uh, and cigarettes, you know, in their way because if they see you smoking, then they're curious. You know, they want to see uh, how to light a cigarette or they want to see how to light something with lighters. So I actually, you know, teach them to do not touch lighters. And we have pictures and things of lighters and igniters and matches, you know, and we tell them that it's dangerous to touch that. You know, you're too little to touch it, so don't you touch it. Let your mom touch it. Can you talk to me about the importance of the high schoolers specifically working with the preschoolers? That's not something I I hear about too often when it comes to fire safety prevention and things like that. I teach career and tech. So in career and tech, uh, we're a training program. So we're training students how to become entrepreneurs. Um, So um, what we do is... Uh, in my program, which is early childhood, um, they have to show that they can, this is what they want to do. So we have real live children that they have to work with uh, to teach them that, okay, you have to be responsible for them. So in being responsible for them, 
you also have to talk to talk to them about safety, safety indoors, safety outdoors, safety just wherever you go and not, you know, walking off, being alone. If we do a field trip, you know, the importance of that. So the preschoolers listen more at the high schoolers because they feel like, you know, uh, they can talk to them and they like to play with them. So they actually listen to the high schoolers, you know, when they say no you shouldn't play with matches, then, you know, they'll go home and tell their parent. Uh, Miss so-and-so said, we shouldn't play with matches. So, you know, the parent will come back and say, uh, I like that, you know, because she knows that if mommy takes a smoke, then she shouldn't mess with my lighter. So, yeah, so that's what that's what we do. Sharon Buckhannon with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. Coming up, why keeping kids reading over the summer could help them retain more of what they learn in school. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Former Vice President Joe Biden steps into the Democratic primary while President Trump says he'll fight congressional subpoenas. These aren't like impartial people. The Democrats are trying to win 2020. They're not going to win with the people that I see. The Week in Politics, next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Librarians across Mississippi are doing their part to prevent students from experiencing the summer slide. It's a decline in reading ability and other academic skills that can occur occur over the summer months when school isn't in session. The Mississippi Library Commission hosted a summer reading kickoff in Jackson yesterday to remind children that they need to read over the summer and visit their public library. Susan Lyles is with the Library Commission. She talks with our Jasmine Ellis about the importance of keeping the mind engaged even when school is out for summer. It's been proven that kids who do not read during the summer, they lose um reading abilities during the summer. So we try to help them through public libraries to stay up on their reading skills so when they start the next grade, they are more prepared. So say a child goes into the classroom and they haven't read, we'll say, at all during the summer, what kind of responsibility does that then put on the teacher to help that student? Can you talk to me about that? Well, you know, I I can't speak for the schools, but I do know that if you keep a child up on their reading skills during the summer, it certainly must make the teacher's jobs easier for them, you know, in the fall. It it is just a, a difficult balance to keep kids active and make sure that they keep up with their skills during the summer. Um, I remember as a parent myself, you know, children don't really want to do that sort of thing in the summer. But going to the library, it's fun. You can see here we're doing activities uh, along with story time. And so it makes it fun for the children. And that's what libraries try to do. Do you have any advice for parents who may have a child who might not be interested in reading at all and they want to encourage their child to you know, to work on their reading skills over the summer? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, children need to be read to their entire life, you know, from birth. So, uh, but reading uh, is fundamental for children. And if if those skills are not uh, practiced at home, uh, they can take them to the library. You know, libraries are free and uh, 
they support every member of the community. So we encourage people who, you know, we know moms are busy, they work. Uh, it's, you know, it's a tough thing to manage homework and summer reading and that sort of thing. So, you know, take advantage of your libraries because, you know, they have a lot of activities going on in the summer to help kids stay up on their reading skills. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds up your credit or debit card purchases to the nearest dollar and sends us the difference. You support MPB and get something nice for yourself. To sign up for Change, visit our website, mpbonline.org, and click support. 